Good morning, everyone, and welcome to the Freeman Means Business Wonder Women in Business podcast. Everyone has a story, and on our podcast, we give a voice to those women whose story is meaningful, moving, and compelling. When they shine, you shine. So today's guest is Melissa Dinwiddie of Creative Sandbox Solutions. Melissa, thank you for being here today. Thanks for having me, Susan. Sure. I know you're a busy woman. I'm so glad that you carved out time to spend time with us. Tell us a little more about yourself. Well, I have been many things in my life. Uh, currently, I help companies unleash creativity to be more productive. And I use creativity and hand-drawn visuals to help companies and organizations unleash productivity and profits. Nice. I, so are you the person who, if I'm having a corporate retreat and we're talking about a mission, vision, and strategy, you're putting that into pictures? That is one of the things I do. Yes. Amazing. So I've seen that kind of work done. I, I'm blown away. I get now, like, it's amazing how fast on your feet your fingers are, so to speak. That's incredible. So, so what else do you do to help grow and protect companies or clients' businesses? Yeah, so that's one of the things that I do. And then I am also the person who helps to create that, that retreat, who designs the retreat and facilitates the retreat. And I use play-based methods to run the retreat. So I use methods like Lego Serious Play is one of my tools and wow. applied improvisation, which is if you've ever gone to see an improv show where people make up scenes and stories up on stage, yeah, um, for just based on an audience suggestion, I use those kinds of games and activities but in an applied way. So we'll do a game or an activity, and then I will post questions after we've done that game or activity to sort of, to help people connect the dots and you know, generate insights that will help them figure out, you know, incredible, um, you know, have insights around whatever's going on in their world, in, in the company and the business on their team. But so all I see this, I from, see this from improv they... games. I see this as a way of discovery, of self-discovery and discovery in others. So let's say I'm hosting a corporate retreat and I have, um, in my world, from which I come, financial services and legal, there are a lot of left-brainers. So this opens mm -hmm. up their minds to tap into their right brain. And I see this as a way of discovering unique and new solutions or even preventing problems. Um, I think yeah. it's fun. It's memorable. I know for a fact, studies show that we communicate now through pictures and we remember things. Our brain um, remembers things uh, better when we have visuals attached and associated. I can only imagine that the experience of acting out or engaging personally, uh, not just watching you draw the pictures, but actually engaging in these exercises that you're talking about would be very memorable and super um you know, a, a super big aid in discovery or you absolutely know, finding solutions. That's awesome. You sound like a really fun woman. I would love to see your work in action. I know a lot of companies that need to um, up their game when it comes to corporate retreats and executive, not just executive, but company wide um, events where you are 
you know, trying to impart a new message or share the new strategy or maybe just uh, increase morale, you know? So how do you communicate with your company? Well, this is a great way to do it. So that's very exciting. Yeah, yeah how, absolutely. Mm -hmm. How did you come to do this? This sounds like so much fun. Well, it's been, it's been a sort of a long twisty road. I actually come from an art background, not a corporate background at all. And I was a professional artist for many years. I did, I was a professional calligrapher and artist, and I did a lot of work on commission and I got really burned out. I got into that field as it were, because I loved creating things. I loved making things. And I ended up, um, because I was making art and I had to make a living making art, I spent so many years just feeling like I had no time to do any art for the joy of it, for the fun of it, just because I wanted to make art for me and got just really mired in perfectionism and really burned out. And back in 2010, around that time, I finally, finally started, kind of came back to making art for myself, but realized that I was, I'd spent so many years only making art for clients that I had really forgotten how to play. And I was so stuck in perfectionism that I couldn't even start making art because, you know, just picking up a pen or a paintbrush to, to try and make something, I was just like, oh God, anything I make is not going to be good enough, you know? So I had to just get, you know, get over myself and get back into that playful space of being a child. And so I, I, the only way that I could sort of let go of perfectionism and, and play again, I had to literally make some rules for myself, starting with there is no wrong. Yeah. And, you know, and I made a sort of a handful of rules for myself. And one of them was when you get to the place where you know the piece is not done, it needs something, but you're afraid that if you add something to it, you're going to ruin it. Go ahead and ruin it, baby. I mean, what's the worst thing that's going to happen? You're going to learn something. Yeah. So anyway, I had, I had sort of a handful of rules that I made and they really worked. And I ended up over the next, well, few years, I ended up making so much art and, uh, and I really overcame that block that I had. And the, this sort of, I had this moment in my head moment where I realized that what I was doing was I was being like a little kid playing in a sandbox. And is that's, that the name? that's actually, that's where my name, the name of my business came, comes from is. I love it. I had to be like a little four-year-old kid playing in a creative sandbox. And this handful of rules that I started off with eventually evolved into 10. And I called them my rules for the creative sandbox. And those rules, I got invited to turn them into a little e-course for a, a learning online learning platform. So nice. I turned them into this little e-course. Hundreds of people went through that e-course and it changed their lives. And so eventually after that experience, I brought that e-course back onto my own website and I turned it into a, you know, a little like opt into my mailing list and you get to go through this e-course kind of thing. Hundreds more people went through that e-course and it kept changing people's lives. And so eventually back in 2016, I turned, I basically turned the e-course into a book and I expanded on it. 
And so that became my book, The Creative Sandbox Way. And over the next, well, around, around that time, I had this um, epiphany. Oh, meanwhile, I had been blogging since 2010. I, I uh, developed a blog called uh, Living a Creative Life. And I, um, at that point, I had realized that I was really miserable being a professional artist who never made any art for myself. And, um, and I had figured out that I, you know, knew how to help get myself and other people creatively unstuck. So I started this blog and became basically a professional creativity instigator, helping people get creatively unstuck. And I kind of developed this online business. And, and then back in, um, well, a few years ago, I realized that here I had this online business and I really really where my strength is, is in person. So what was I doing with this online business? And my strength is really working with groups in, you know, three dimensions in person. And so I thought, why don't I take all the things that I've learned about creativity and play and take that into the organizational world and, uh, and see what I can do with it. And here's the thing. Companies aren't really interested in play for play's sake and creativity for creativity's sake, but they are interested in how it can help them, you know, improve their business, help them with leadership development, help them with team development, help them with, you know, innovation and new product development and things like that. So I had to figure out how can I take what I know and translate that into helping organizations. And so it's been a bit of a learning curve for me, but that's where I am. And shouldn't it always be? Um, I feel like, you know, you kept talking about um, being a perfectionist. So I mm -hmm. have, I have a tendency to, now, now, first of all, if it doesn't have a typo in it, you can rest assured it did not come from me. So there's my big, <laughs> you know, <laughs> I'm because I never learned to type. And although uh, my grammar is impeccable and I'm a good writer, I definitely need someone to proofread my work. But that was really hard for me because it's almost debilitating when you find you sent something out and there's a typo in it. So I had to learn that um, when you have deadlines, depending on the gravity of the situation or the, the, you know, how high level the task is or how important it might be, Good and done beats perfect and pending. That's my new rule. So. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. So um, I love that you have evolved. It sounds to me like you haven't been all over the place. You're more like a um, bowling lane than a pinball machine. You have <laughs> and evolved into this wonderful 4D um, creative person who helps others to find uh, I don't think this is just great for business. I think this is good for as you uh, incorporate your business strategy into this and you use these tools that you um, teach and show as uh, a way of unveiling or revealing or discovering new strategies to grow and protect businesses. I think each person who gets involved, at least I would, um, probably grows personally and finds fulfillment personally in these exercises. Um, I'll tell yeah. a little secret and don't tell anybody. Um, so if you're listening, folks, cover your ears. I know a lot, <laughs> a lot of brilliant IT, uh, ISTJs, INT, uh, you know, introverts and a lot of um, 
supreme thinkers, linear thinkers who really need this. They need to tap into this. They need, they crave this and they can, their minds are such that, you know, you find a lot of um, lawyers and doctors are also musicians, you know, cause they tap into mm. that. So I think this is really good for, um, you know, those who are ISTJs, like those who are lawyers, engineers, CPAs, a lot of um, detail-oriented linear thinkers to unleash their creativity and to tap into the other side of, you know, what they can bring to um, the table. And when you do that, I think you're more aligned with um, client-centric solutions. You know, you speak the language. Absolutely. For sure. Well, I, I actually, one of the things I love about what I do is I see myself as something of a Trojan horse because <laughs> I go in to, you know, there's, there's the, the overarching goal of how I'm helping the client. And at the same time, my hope is that I'm also helping individuals in, you know, it, that's not part of the, you know, the brief of what I'm doing for the company or the team, but my hope is that some individual in the room is going to come away from that experience thinking, oh, you know what? I'm going to pick up a pen now, or I'm going to go take an improv class, or I'm going to go pick up that guitar that's been languishing in my closet for the past 30 years or whatever, because they've had this experience of playing in a way that they've forgotten that they could do. Exactly. And some of them, you know, have discounted the value of play and that's right. very dangerous. Um, I exactly. Think that, you know, the way we first learn is through play and, and we tend to um, drop that as we grow older and that's not healthy, right. not good. And it's probably why some of the industries that I come from or some of the, you know, we have the highest depression rate. We're so lonely. Um, the, the drug use, the alcohol use, and the suicide rates are sky high in the legal world. You'll see there's a lot mm. of big push from ALM um, to unveil and, and, and find solutions for this problem. I mean, we were keeping it secret for so long, uh, but finally this industry, at least the legal industry, is starting to, um, you know, I work with a lot of industries, but my personal in-house past has been mostly in legal. And it's an industry mm. rife with depression. I mean, people are just, wow. yeah. And I see where what you do can help them tap into their highest and best selves. If you're only tapping into the research and get the work done and, you know, answer to the billable hour, that's not healthy. You're leaving no. a whole, a, a great big part of yourself is dying and you're killing it. You're killing it. So absolutely. And yeah. can I tell you, can I tell you a secret? Cause people might, might not realize this. If, if you've ever watched anybody do graphic recording, you know, the live visuals, the reason why I'm drawn to it, no pun intended, is <laughs> be specifically because I have such a tendency to get stuck in perfectionism. Yeah. Because the live visuals, I can't get sucked into perfectionism in the same way that I do with studio work. In fact, I just had a gig on Thursday for um, Stanford Children's Health. And part of the job was doing their um, leadership philosophy, which really, it was really a studio work piece at the end. Like they had come up with their leadership philosophy. They all went off to play on the beach and have dinner. 
and I had to get their leadership philosophy onto this chart. And I could have said, okay, I'm going home now to go work on this. You all have fun. And then they were going to have the second day of their workshop. And I was exhausted, but I want to get that piece done right then and there, even though I, it, there's no way I could have done it nearly as, you know, beautifully quote unquote perfectly right. in, you know, three or four hours on site as if I had gone home, I wanted to get it done. Yeah. The passion was more important than the perfection. Um, it's not even passion. It's just like, it's like what you were saying before done is better than perfect. Yeah. And, it done and, perfect intending. Exactly. And the, and, and I actually really, really prefer live capture even though my lettering totally degrades, it gets messy. The drawings that I make are so messy and my inner critic is going bonkers. It's just like <laughs> screaming at me. But isn't that I, good for you though to let it's go? So, that? Yeah. Exactly. I have to let go. It's Whereas authentic. the kind of work, yeah, and the kind of work that I did before. I would spend hundreds of hours on these pieces. They were, they, they were Jewish marriage contracts primarily that were made for somebody's wedding. So they had a hard deadline, but I would spend like hundreds of hours on these pieces and, you know, knock myself out on them. Hundreds of words of calligraphy. Perfection and just, paralysis. Oh my God. You know what? Let me tell you, is it, but don't you prefer you're now, now you're authentic. You're real. I mean, real life is messy. It's not perfect. This is precisely why I don't edit my um, podcasts because it's real. I mean, if you don't know an answer or if you cough or sneeze or, you know, and people overhear you having a conversation, this is what it is. It's improv. Right. Exactly. So I love that you're, you know, growing from that and you, you are now evolving. Um, No one's done. We're never done. I hope I'm never done learning and growing, but I love that you've come to this place where you accept what might be considered imperfect by you, but is beautifully perfect by other standards. Um, You know, and then you've come to realize your talents and skills are not um, defined just by the perfect. I mean, what is perfect anyway? You know, I had a friend tell yeah. me, that. she said, I don't understand the university system in this country. Who's to say what a hundred percent is? Who's to say what an A is? Why is that? You know, that's, you know, one person's opinion or, you know, someone else right. may see the same paper and think it's phenomenal or same story. We were talking about writing and think it's phenomenal. And, you know, why is that, you know, who's standard, who sets that standard? Where she comes from, there's more of a scale, you know, 80 is considered uh, amazing, like top notch, 80 to 100, or, you know, there's more of a scale. So I love that you've grown, um, I find that I call it spiritual growth, actually, it has nothing to do with religion, but I call it spiritual growth when we learn to accept um, that something is beautiful and meaningful and deeply moving without it being any one particular person's definition of perfect. Well, and that's been one of the huge growth experiences for me doing this practice of the the live capture, the graphic recording for clients, because my inner critic is going crazy saying, oh my God, this sucks. This is so awful. 
And I see other people, you know, my clients in the room, the participants in the room, I see them looking at what I'm doing and, and I jump to, well, I jump to, they must think this is terrible. That's where my brain goes, That's right? Projection. Yeah. That's my projection. That's my projection. And, and to a person, they come up to me and they say, oh my God, this is amazing. Yeah. You're incredible. I can't believe this. You're, this is so beautiful. And the most powerful to me is like this man who came up to me on Thursday and he said, I'm so glad you're in the room because I can only retain about yeah. 2% of what's being said and having you here and the drawings is so amazing because I can see what was just said. And, people and that think, is so meaningful to me. It's so, yeah. it's so gratifying and validating that what I'm doing, regardless of what the gremlins in my head are saying, what right. I'm doing is so important. And, the, and the, the memorialization of that conversation or those important um, things that they talk about is, you know, visualization is powerful. I mean, people remember right. it more. It's, it's, it's embedded in their brains more readily. So Absolutely. what you do is very great. And I, I want to liken the, the struggle that you have um, to that, which most many women have. Let's just use me with my, so body image, for example. Oh um, my God. Huge. I've, yeah. Yeah. I've gained a ton of weight caring for my mom. She has Alzheimer's and I've become her caregiver and I've packed on tons of weight and I notice it and I critique it and I'm horrified by it. And I have to try, I can't just go get up and get dressed and leave the house. I have to try stuff on every day, you know? Oh yeah. So, but no one else notices or judges me that way or sees right, that. So I right. have to hush my inner critic as well. We all have our thing. Um, so I'm, I'm very impressed that you're courageous enough to be honest about that. Um, I would imagine as an artist and you are that like that's, that's common. I'm, I'm going to imagine that that's common, that perfection is important. Um, you know, I can imagine that a lot of artists suffer the same and good for you for having worked through it or embraced it. You know, you can't just ignore it. You got to sit with it and then manage it basically. Yeah. You, you just have to dance with it. Cause it's, dance it never, it. never goes away. Right. Yeah. Right. Well, let me ask you, you've done some great stuff. I know that I actually, um, know you from the club and I wonder, tell me this, this is something I don't know. What would you consider, especially since you're so, um, self critical, you know, like critical of, you know, self, what do you consider your proudest professional accomplishment? You know, I think it's writing my book. Nice. I, I had, I had a goal to write a book for a long time as, as many people do, of course. And I determined that I was going to get a book out by the time I turned 50. And, um, the, the year that I was turning 50, I set this goal and <laughs> it was like three months before, before I turned 50 and I suddenly went, Oh my God, where's my book? <laughs> I've got to get this book done. And I had a lot of content already because I had been, you know, I had been working on this, um, this creative sandbox, creative sandbox rules, all this, you know, I, I had all the, a lot of content from blogging and writing and, and this, uh, this e-course that I had developed. And I reached out to this, um, this woman that I knew who was a, an editor and a book coach. 
and uh, and said, "Hey, I want to get this book done. Are you available?" And nice. she she was, and so she I worked with her, and um, and I and I sort of re rejiggered my life and cut out so much stuff that I was doing to make space to work on the book. Isn't that and, cool how you can come to a place where, um, you know, at, at the end of the day, people choose to do what they want to do. Like, honestly, yes. it doesn't matter. You choose to do, if you don't have time for it, if you don't, that's because you're choosing not to. You are choosing. I had to cut out so much stuff to make space for the book. Yeah. And, and the, here's the big thing though, Susan. I mean, I did everything on this book. I wrote the book. I, I mean, I, I had the woman who was, you know, helped me with the editing, which was a godsend. There's, because there's no way you can edit a book by yourself. I assembled a launch team. I designed the book. I, you know, did the book cover, did the interior design. I did everything, and I launched the book myself. So That's I awesome. did I, all of this in three months. It was totally insane. It nearly killed me. So do you think that I, I would not do it way, the same way. <laughs> yeah. I want to ask you this. Do you think that in some way your um, epiphany of ha having let go of perfectionism helped to make that happen? Um, for sure. Yeah, for sure. Um, I'm really, really proud of this book. I feel like, and, and, you know, I've, I, I have a, an acquaintance and also a client of mine who is a book, uh, book interior designer who took my book along with several other books with her to a workshop that she was co-leaving. She used my book as an example where she took several books, some were traditionally published, you know, by big publishers and some were self-published. And she presented this big stack of books and had the people in the workshop sort them according to which they thought were traditionally published and which they thought were self-published. And my book got sorted into the pile of books that they thought were traditionally published. Nice. So I was very pleased with that. Nice. So I, I'm really, really proud of that, that book. Well, folks, we're going to put um, access to um, Melissa's book on the blog that I write after the podcast. And I'll have an image of it where you can click the image and buy the book on Amazon. Um, so that it makes it easy for you to learn more about this book that I'm so excited about. I can't wait to get this book. I used to end up, so, so I don't research my guests heavily before because I like to get to know them on the podcast, but I end up buying so many books after because I get so fascinated. <laughs> <laughs> so I'll be buying your book, but I'll also make it easy for all my listeners to buy your book as well. Um, Thank you. That's really awesome. So I, I have dreams of, I have self-published before, but I have dreams of actually writing um, a semi-autobiographical story, but I have to wait till a few people are no longer living. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, um, I'm going to write the story. So if you want to look good in it, be nice to me now. You know? <laughs> That's a good incentive. <laughs> exactly. If you're afraid to be in my book, you should have been nice to me while you were. <laughs> so, um, well, let me ask you, who has been your mentor? Someone, I mean, maybe you've had many or maybe you've had none. I don't know. Oh yeah. No, I've definitely had mentors. You know, the person who stands out the most 
is my Lego Serious Play master trainer, Jackie Lloyd-Smith of Strategic Play. She has a, a training company in British Columbia, which is where I learned how to be a Lego Serious Play facilitator. And I met her at a conference called the Creative Problem Solving Institute in Buffalo, New York, back in June of 2017 which is where I first discovered Lego Series Play. I had no idea what it was. I just had an opportunity to sign up. Everybody signs up on the very first day in advance of the conference. You sign up for a, a one-day activity the very first day. And there were you know, so many different things to choose from. And I thought, oh, this Lego thing looks interesting. I'll, that sounds fun. I'll do yeah, that. Well, tell, tell us what it is. So I know, but most of my audience may not Yeah. Know. Tell so us what that is. Lego Serious Play is a methodology that combines building with Lego and storytelling. And basically Love what it, it is, is a, a facilitator poses a question or a challenge to the group, the people sitting around tables or one table if it's a small group, and everybody participating in, in the workshop, everybody in the room, builds their answer with Lego. So there's a challenge or a question that the facilitator, that would be me, poses. Everybody builds their answer with Lego. And then while you're building, your brain is firing off insights. You don't, you don't have to think about it. Your brain just automatically is firing off insights while you're building. You're use, your hands are the search engine for your brain. Your hands are building with Lego. Your brain is firing off insights. And then you have this model that you've built out of Lego, that is your answer to the challenger question. And then everybody who's built uh, the model, everybody has their own model that they built and one at a time you get to share the story of your model. So you get to hear everybody else's stories of what they've built and you get to share your story. And while you're listening to other people's stories, your brain is firing off more insights and connecting dots. And as you're sharing your, your story, you may be firing off even more insights and realize, oh, you know, I used a pink brick and it didn't occur to me as I was building, but now as I'm sharing my story, I realize that this pink brick has meaning that I didn't realize that it had. Right. So I love this so much. So yeah. I, hope, I hope that folks, you're getting what she's saying. This is super powerful. So we know the power of storytelling. We know the power of visuals. She's saying combined, it really taps into some usually untapped resources inside each of us, um, deep, deep in not just our heads, but in our hearts too. And shouldn't you bring both right. to the table when you're coming up with solutions, even in the business setting, perhaps especially in the business setting? I right. And it taps so into more parts of your brain than you would ever use if you were just using, say, sticky notes and writing because you're using the kinesthetic Right. You're using your hands, you're using three dimensions. It's an incredibly powerful methodology and it's used for so many different kinds of purposes. The United Nations has used it, yeah. United Way uses it, Procter & Gamble uses it for all of their new product development. I will never do any kind of brainstorming without Lego Serious Play since I have used it for brainstorming and and then tried using you know doing brainstorming without it the the differences are just black and white 
That is awesome. So I, I am VAK. I'm all three. So I'm visual, audio, and kinesthetic. But mm -hmm. uh, a lot of people put themselves into one bucket and then just commit to that. And I say, step out of your bucket, jump out of the bucket, learn some new way of learning, um, embrace some different, get out of your comfort zone, you know? So uh, this kind of activity definitely does that. It really does make people stretch. Um, and I find it exciting. And I think that more and more people, especially in financial services and in legal, um, again, that's not the only industries I serve, but it's the industries from which I came. They need this for sure. Yeah. Um, I could just imagine. And it's not, look, it's not a woman thing. It's an everybody thing. It's not, you know, so pictures and, and, you know, creative thinking, and that's not just for artists. It's, it's, it's actually for everyone. So I love yeah, one of the cool things about Lego serious play is that men tend to dig it because a lot of, you know, a lot of men grew up playing with Lego. So it's something that they have an in, inherent comfort level with. Whereas if I put a bunch of crayons or paint out on the table, paints and brushes, they might go, well, I don't know about this, you know, but yeah. Lego, they tend to feel comfortable with. Yeah. It's like the Rubik's cube or, you know, I, I, there's a company called Goldie Blocks. I love that they're encouraging young girls to play with Legos and building sets and, you know, other, um, to borrow a word from one of our former presidents, strategy. <laughs> <laughs> Engage in strategy. <laughs> anyway, I love what you do, and I would love to see you in action and learn more. But we'll talk after or another day about you know more my questions personally. Um, how yeah, you I'd love to with me with clients and um, some of the people I know who need you. But anyway, so who, who was your inspiration and your mentor? We said the woman from Buffalo that you met in Buffalo, or she's from, um, yeah, yeah. Jackie Lloyd Smith. Yeah. Jackie Lloyd Smith. I want to make sure we mention her name, uh, so that people can check her out and look her up. And I'll put that in the, uh, blog as well. So let me ask you this. I know that this may not be the focus of your business, but in doing what you do and being who you are. How can we just even on a day-to-day -day basis, big or small, doesn't have to be some grand scheme, but how can we support other women in business? That's my, my goal. So how can we do that just day-to-day? -day? Well, I think any, any way that we support women in general is supporting women in business. Yeah. And, and also, you know, looking, specifically looking for women-owned businesses and intentionally um, you know, buying from them and yeah. sent and in, and talking them up, you know, telling your friends about women owned businesses is, is always a good thing to do. And that's so easy folks. You don't need to spend money, you know, to, to, to share that message. You don't need to, um, you know, bend over backwards to share that message. You don't just, you know, when you need something or if you're looking for something, go to a woman-owned business. That's very easy to do. And the message is very easy to share. Um, she's not asking you to do something that you can't afford to do with, you know, time-wise or money-wise. I mean, it's very easy to do. Uh, women-owned businesses are very difficult, you know, just to get that, um, that, what's the, oh, the word escapes me, but when you get, uh, 
the certification as a women-owned business. It takes a long time and it's hard and mm. you have to show how much money you've earned for a sustainable uh, period of time. So I love that. No one's ever said that on my podcast, actually. And that's one of the easiest, most basic. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. Isn't that crazy? I've done hundreds. Well, over a hundred. So maybe about 150 podcasts. No one's ever said that, but that makes so much sense in dollars. Uh, ha -ha. So let me ask you this. <laughs> what has been uh, your biggest challenge or setback and how did you overcome it, Melissa? Oh, man. So my biggest setback was back when I was still a professional artist and I was pretty burned out. Um, <laughs> oh man. So this was back in 2010. Um, I was already, I, I was, I was really, I didn't really want to continue in the direction that I was that I was in being a, a primarily a ketubah artist at making the Jewish marriage contracts, but I hadn't come to the realization that I could do anything else yet. And it was, so it was 2010. So the, the, um, the economy had tanked yeah. and my business for the first time had taken a nosedive and I didn't even know that that was possible. <laughs> that's, yeah. how, that's how like naive I was. And, uh, Such and an artist, right? <laughs> <laughs> I, I really didn't, I really didn't know how to run a business. I just had kind of, it had just sort of grown organically. Yeah. And that's so artist like I was so naive at everything. I just, and I was so panicked when everything went south that I just threw a bunch of money at the problem. And I ended up, the only thing that I succeeded at doing was getting myself very deeply in debt. And so here I was February of 2010 and my and i here i was in debt i had no money in savings anymore I had, I had just like blown through my savings and i was desperate and there was and my business was very seasonal at the time because it was based on weddings and so there were some clients that i had had some you know correspondence with but nobody had handed over their credit card at this point and so i was on the phone with uh this woman this bride and she and her fiance were, they wanted to buy not just a ketubah, but also a Quaker wedding certificate and invita matching invitations. So this was going to be more than enough to pay my mortgage, but my mortgage was due in like five days or something. I mean, it was just like, I was so stressed out. And so I had had like, I don't know, eight conversations with this woman and her fiance at this point. I was like, thinking to myself, would you just hand me, you know, just give me your credit card information, you know? <laughs> so I'm on the phone and she was like, okay, I'm ready to place an order. And I was like, thank God, thank God, thank God. And then she said, oh, I just want to talk to my fiance one more time. And I was like, oh, <laughs> so, um, so I, I had been at this point, I had been scouring the internet and I had, you know, been listening to all these, you know, financial uh, online marketing gurus or whatever. And so all these people had been talking about how to create a sense of urgency. So stupidly, this thing popped into my head, you know, create a sense of urgency, create a sense of urgency. So I said, oh, sure, no problem. But if you, if you buy now, 
you can get a set of Kintsu knives. I didn't say exactly <laughs> that, but, but it was, it was almost that bad. I was like, I'll throw in some, I don't know, special shipping package or I don't know what, it, I don't remember what it was, but it was, it was so wrong. It was That's so, necessary. it was Probably so out of bad. alignment. Yeah. But you know, I think everybody who lived through that, I was one of those, um, uh, I, I had the security of a position that, that, you know, you make money, whether the economy's good or bad lawyers, lawyers are safe. You know, when times are good, people need lawyers. When times are bad, people bad people need lawyers. Need lawyers. Well, yeah. this woman got off the phone very quickly and I knew I had blown it. And sure enough, a few hours later, she sent me an email and said that she had been, you know, that our conversation made her very uncomfortable and they had decided to go elsewhere. And so I lost that sale yeah. and I just utterly flipped out. I had a total meltdown and I, I mean, I really, I had a total breakdown and that well, was my hit bottom moment. Yeah, and and I, actually, and it, it changed my life. I mean, that it was the worst moment in my life. And in a way it was the best moment in my life because it helped me strip the blinders off. And it made me realize, oh, I don't have to just be a ketuba artist and a jazz singer at night because I, I was singing jazz at that time in my life. But it, that is what led me to start my blog, Living a Creative Life. And it led me to make it the decision that, oh, you know, I could do whatever I want. What is it that I want to do? What do I want my life to be? Who do I want to be? I want to be more creative. I want more creativity in my life. Where do I want to go and what do I want to do? And so that's what led me ultimately to be where I am now. Nice, nice. So I just want to say something funny about that. Um, we all have a story like that. I've been in sales all my life. We all are, whether we admit that or not. Um, yes. Desperation is the stinkiest kind of cologne. I'll just tell you. <laughs> oh my God, it's so true. <laughs> Nobody, yeah. When you reek a desperation, people are like, hee wee, run the other way. So, um, so true. Let me ask you this. If people want to reach you or hire you or just know more about you, your book, your blog, all the wonderful things that you do, how can they? Well, my consultancy website is creativesandbox.solutions. You can also reach it at creativesandboxsolutions.com. We'll go to the same place. And my personal website is melissadinwitty.com. Nice. Nice. Um, folks, if you didn't get a chance to write all that down, I'll make sure to include all of Melissa's contact info and her website address in the blog. That blog is going to be out on my website within 48 hours. Melissa, you are so funny and so wonderful <laughs> and a great storyteller. You know, for someone who's telling, who tells stories through pictures, you're also a really good storyteller uh, through oration. So, oh, thank you. Yeah, yeah. I'm sitting here laughing and I'm sad with you when you're sad. And I'm like, yeah, <laughs> you know, cheering you on. So, um, well, look, have a great day. Thank you so much for carving time out to spend with us. And uh, you're, you're awesome. You're awesome. Uh, thank you. Thanks for having me on. It's been a real delight. Yeah, same here. Thanks for listening, everybody. We'll hear, we'll hear next time from another great woman in business. Have a good day. Bye-bye.